0: I'm Teresa, and I'm an addict from Dallas, Texas. I'm very grateful to be here. Our topic today is standing for something, which is a perfect topic. Um, There's so much that I stand for. I stand for my recovery. I stand for living clean a day at a time, for hope, for spiritual principles. I stand for building relationships with God, with my family, with my husband. With women in this program, with a sponsor and sponsees. Um, I want to talk for just a minute about speaking because I've been so terrified the last three months. <laughs> I've d- done a lot of listening to speaker meetings on tape, um, a lot of praying, talking to God, meditating sharing in meetings, talking to my sponsor, my support group, writing about it, and I've done all of that obsessively. Um, that's how my disease works and how my program works. My clean date is February 17th of 93, which is a miracle. Um I'm not saying that for applause, I'm saying that because the day clean for an addict is a miracle. And we all work this program one day at a time. There's no other way to do it. Um, I've got support right here in this room right now. My husband is here, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, two of my best friends, Amy and Janet. Um, There's so many um, addicts from my home group in Dallas that are here at this convention. It's To come this far for all of us to get together in paradise, we've got to enjoy the beauty and the moment, and one of the hardest things for me to do today is to try to stay in the moment, and I've been trying to practice that. It's not easy, but I can do it um the beauty that we have here, just, you know, looking at the ocean, looking at another addict in their eyes. You know, God is in all of us. And I'm one of those believers that God got me into this program and I came to this program and found God. I didn't have a God that I understood growing up. I was brought up in a Catholic church and a Catholic school until my parents allowed me to make that decision at 9 or 10 years old to not go to church anymore. I wasn't interested in that. I didn't get anything out of it at that time. I was closed-minded, and I wasn't a good listener. I wasn't ready until I came to Narcotics Anonymous. That's when I was ready for God. Um, This program is about change. And I was told early on that we change everything, people, places and things. And we learn to live life a day at a time through change and through the steps. My introduction to Narcotics Anonymous was in nineteen ninety two and you know I'd lost a job and I had lost the car. um, God works through others, and I want to say that first, because what I'm going to talk about is how God has worked in my life through other people, or I wouldn't be here right now. My mother has a lot to do with that. She is still, you know a devout Catholic, and she lit many candles for me, said many masses and, and the stuff that they do. She has her God and I have mine. We have different programs. We're friends today. My mother went and paid my COBRA insurance when I lost my job because she knew that I was real sick and I needed help. And through that, I put myself in the first treatment center that I was in. I didn't go for me, though. I went to try to stay out of jail when I went to court or for other reasons. I did get some things out of that treatment center that I can look back on and know that they took me to my first Narcotics Anonymous meeting. They took me to a lot of meetings in the other fellowship. But I found my home in N.A. I know where my home is. I also met another woman in that treatment center that introduced me to a new career. God works through others. I didn't have a job. Um, I barely had my apartment. I was very selfish and self-centered like many of us when we come in. All I could think about was drugs 24 hours a day. I let drugs control me. They had power over me because I allowed that to happen. I didn't know how not to. I was very sick, like many of us. I stayed clean for a few months, went to some meetings. I got a sponsor that didn't have a phone. (laughs) I got another sponsor that sponsored everybody. And I told her I was on the fourth step, so I started writing. (laughs) I wasn't ready for the program. That's that's the way it worked. I found out that alcohol is a drug. It took one sip on my way home. I got my drug of choice. It altered my mind. Enough. Alcohol is a drug. You don't know that. I found out that uh, when I came back into this program that there's a huge difference between religion and spirituality. This is a spiritual program. It's not a religious program. My mind was brainwashed growing up. I say that not to offend anyone. I didn't understand. um, You know, we have 12 steps here, and they have Ten Commandments. I have a God today that's not punishing. I'm not going to go burn for a while in purgatory and then go to hell, which we've been to hell, you know, in our own way. I went back out using for the last six months of the bottom that I hit, which was, you know, I remember very vividly my, my last day using, which is also my first day clean. I started using, when I was maybe 13 or 14 in in 1969, the pot and the acid, the fun stuff, and that's what it was, a lot of fun. I had my first shot of heroin when I was 18, and the last thing I did was hit the crack pipe. For all those years, I got clean when I was 37. It took a long time. It doesn't matter how long, what we used. It matters that we're here right now at this moment. When I got clean in 93, which is my true surrender, I felt that true surrender. And again, I had an intervention with my mother and my sister. God works through others. They helped me get into a a treatment center. And I wanted to be there. This time I wanted to be there. I got the biggest hug from an addict when I walked in that I'll never forget. And that was the first surrender that I felt in my heart, that that I'd had enough, I wanted something different, I couldn't do it anymore, and I asked for help. When I can ask for help, that's part of surrendering for me. I surrender on a daily basis today. I stayed in that treatment center for a few months and was transferred into another treatment center. This first treatment center was an old house built in 1900. There was 20 people there, all from, you know, court-band-aided. You could walk out anytime. time. There wasn't a lockdown facility. I was transferred into another treatment center that was all women. And early on in recovery... You know, I really didn't want to be around all women. I wasn't used to that. I didn't know how to be around people in general, not just men and women. My communication skills were not very good from, you know, the last years of my using. And our book talks about, you know, living at an animal level. And, you know, I had a place to live, but I still crawled around on the floor. And, you know, it wasn't fun anymore. Many years using wasn't fun. I had the obsession. It took over my mind and I couldn't stop. I know there's many of us that can relate to that. I've heard a lot of speakers since I've been here that I can relate to. And I know that God was going to walk me through this no matter how scared I was when I got up here. I know that because I have faith and hope and trust and I have spiritual principles that you guys gave me. And I can't keep it if I don't give it back. When I come in here and I hear from you guys, just turn it over. And when I heard that in the beginning, I did not understand that. I was told to keep coming back and you will and work the steps. I did understand that surrender that I first felt in that treatment center. I felt that without words. That was unconditional love, the therapeutic value of one addict helping another. Our meditation today is higher powered. And that's part of my recovery, being higher-powered. I have a God today. My higher power I choose to call God. I pray every day. I talk to God all day. God is in you, every one of you. He's all over. I'm the one that steps away if I'm not with God. And I don't want to do that today. I can be in my will sometimes, and I know when I am. I've learned that, too. You know, it's not a good feeling I'm obsessive and compulsive in other areas, and I know when I am, and I try to get in a solution quicker than I used to. Sponsorship is a real important tool for my recovery. And it was suggested early on in recovery to get a sponsor to work the steps, and things will change, things will get different, your life will get better. And that's how it's worked for me. I asked a woman to be my sponsor when I had a few months clean, and I was in treatment. I called her every day, did my writing, my reading, along with our groups and counseling sessions with other addicts, going out to meetings. When I got out of treatment, she had relapsed. She had five years clean. She's back now, though. You know, some of us don't make it back. Um, I looked for another sponsor at my first home group. And I found a woman that to me looked like she was very spiritual, that had peace and serenity. Um, We have this IP on sponsorship. If you don't know anything about sponsoring or finding a sponsor, it's good information to read. This first sponsor is one of my best friends today and she's here at this convention and we spent a lot of time together. Um, Some of the main spiritual principles early on that I got from her was a little more patience than what I had. I got trust in another woman. I started to build a relationship with another woman. Along with building my relationship with God, which is to me number one, recovery first, God's got to come first for me. I worked the steps a few times with her, and things changed in in our lives. And I changed sponsors with about four or four four and a half years clean, and this other woman that I asked to be my sponsor. Um, she was more outspoken. She worked out. She did a lot of service work, and so did my first sponsor. She relapsed with 14 years clean after I worked with her for four years. And when she called me with that phone call, asked me to sit down, said she wanted to talk to me, and she said she couldn't sponsor me anymore because she drank. And she had been planning it. So I went and got on my knees and thanked God that it wasn't me. And prayed for God to put another woman in my life. And within a few days, another woman in our program with quite a bit of clean time called me at work. Or I called her, I don't remember. She's sitting here today. God works. He puts people in my life for unknown reasons at unknown times. And what's happened, you know, being in here for a little bit longer is that I can see God working more today and acknowledge when he's working in my life today. Amy sponsored me for several years, and this year I made another sponsor change. I joined a step study in January with a group of women working out of our basic text and got to know some other women in this fellowship and um, asked another woman to be my sponsor now. And what I saw in her is a lot of service work experience that I wanted. I've got women in my life today that are the most beautiful people I've ever met and men in this fellowship that are just friends. We can be friends with men and women today and not have a sexual relationship. We can have unconditional love together. The first job that um, that I got after I got clean, I was in a treatment center and I had a job training program helped me put my resume together and I applied for a job and was so excited to get this job that was in within walking distance of my home group. And um, I'm in property management, which... That's the career change that I made from a girl that I met in treatment. And this, this job was in, on a property that was really not a very, a very good property to work on. You know, A, B, and C class, it was like a C minus. And I was so grateful to go to work every day. You know, I brought my lunch every day because I didn't have any money. I ate ramen noodles at night for months, and I was grateful for that. I was happy Went to meetings, several meetings every day. I had another job change in that same career about six months later to a nicer property, and it was close enough to walk over to my mother's house. My mother's played a big part in my recovery, and at that time my father was still alive. He passed away when I had almost three years clean, and one thing that, I'm so grateful for that I did have a few years clean to spend time with them because I went over there quite often. And my mother knew that I would answer the phone when she called me the night he died because I didn't answer my phone before when I was using, if I had a phone at that time. You know, I was an isolator like many of us, Skized out, peeping out the blinds, crawling on the floor our natural addict state, sick addict state, but we do recover. So these job changes that I've had, you know, is is God working through other people because I got these jobs through somebody that knew somebody in the program. You know, it was all a result of God working in my life. Um, I had another job change with that company to another property which led me in the direction of, of a different home group for a couple of years and it was only 20 miles away I mean Dallas I don't know if anyone has been to Dallas that is is not from there we have a lot of NA there we have a lot of um, meetings and you know I want to be grateful for that not to take it for granted because my home group Right now, you know, it's three miles from where I live, and we have four meetings every day. And we also don't want to forget that there's many groups out there that need support to go visit other groups and know that there's places that don't have a lot of attendance at their meetings. They need support. I've been blessed a day at a time. I changed home groups for a couple of years, 20 miles from my other home group, and I couldn't find the NA meeting. I had the schedule, and it was—I thought it was the current schedule—but they had just moved from a church over into a building. And I drove over to that church for the meeting time, and nobody was there. And I thought, "Where is NA?" You know, and. I drove over to another meeting in the other fellowship, which is not my home, but it was there. And I parked right in front of the door where the NA symbol was, where they moved. I mean, right in front of it, and I looked over, and there it was. I said, thank you, God. There's my home. I went to my first meeting there. I had eight years clean. There were eight people in the room, seven men. If I would have first gotten clean, it would have been okay. I would have felt, you know, a little better. But, you know, things change in recovery. I've grown up in recovery. What's so happened? Into a a woman. I'm not a teenager anymore. I don't shop in juniors anymore. I walk by there. I want to go in, but I don't. One of our readings in our just for today talks about. Um, dressing like a teenager pushing 40. And that's what I was when I came in, and every year I read that, and now I'm pushing 50. (laughs) Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for letting me be clean, and thank you for change. Um, The person that was chairing that meeting at the Awakenings group in Louisville asked me to come back. He said, we need women and we need clean time. And, and I came back and there was women. You know, it's just that meeting that I was at, there just wasn't women. It was a very small group though, and it started growing rapidly. And it became my home group for a couple of years. And through that home group, God works through others. He put these women in my life that asked me to sponsor them. And I was able to share what I've been given what my sponsor gives me and what you guys give me. I can't keep it if I don't give it away. And and, and that's just like our fourth step. If we write it and stuff it in a drawer, our book tells us, we're as sick as our secrets. I don't really have any secrets today. I don't want any. It doesn't feel good to keep secrets. Gossip doesn't feel good today. It doesn't feel good to be negative to judge other people by their looks. I don't like that anymore. I used to do it all the time. I used to be rude to old people. Growing up. And, and it's not nice. You know, I open doors for them today. I go out of my way, if possible, you know, to help somebody else. And it doesn't matter who they are. It feels good to help others today. And that's, you know, what God has given me that. And... For me to help somebody, I'm getting something. If I'm in a bad spot, I can do something for someone else with no strings attached. And I come out in a different place in five minutes. I can get on my knees. God is always there. People aren't. I can call somebody. I can go to a meeting. I can read our literature. I can write in my journal. I mean, what more to life is there? If you haven't worked the steps, you're really missing out. I mean, I'm real adamant and strong about Live or Die, the program. Black or white, it's Live or Die. There's not an in-between in the program for me. And working the steps is a a huge part of it. Going to meetings is a big part of it. My life is, is much better. You know, when I work through the steps, I want to work them again because I get so much out of it. And I want to be in a step study. And I want to open the door to the meeting that, that I chair every week, which is a book study. You know, it feels good to be of service to do something. My first sponsor was involved in, in a lot of service work, and she got me started in service. And it might be empty in ashtrays because they smoked back then at that group making coffee, wiping things down. And one reason I got into service early on is because I didn't want to sit there because I felt stupid not doing anything. I felt like I was being judged. I didn't fit in even though I knew I was home. I was afraid to talk to people. Didn't know how to have a conversation with anybody. My first sponsor helped me with that. I called her every day like I was supposed to. I didn't know what to say, but it didn't matter. I'm still calling. And if you're new and you don't know how to call somebody or what you're going to say, it doesn't matter. That other person on the other end is probably going to say something like, hello? <laughs> we can get the conversation going. You don't have to worry about it. This is unconditional love. It's joy. It's freedom. I see that in everybody here. I met many people yesterday standing in many lines. (laughs) So I can either patiently wait or the hurry up and wait and be impatient. And I try to be more patient. That's one of my defects that has gotten a lot better. And it's something that, I mean, I ask God for patience. And I heard that early on, too, you know. You might get it if you pray for patience. And I need patience. I believe in asking God for spiritual principles because I believe that God wants me to have them. I ask God for another day clean, yes. To be honest, open-minded and willing. There's certain character defects that I ask God to remove from me or anything that gets in the way of my usefulness to help others. And to be of service to him and others. To see the love in my husband on a daily basis and in our marriage. This last job change that I had and met these wonderful women at this Awakenings group. I also met my husband there. I had nine years clean. And I had not been in any healthy relationships or any long-term relationships since I'd been clean. Part of that was fear of commitment, of getting too close to the man, of already planning the divorce in my head and not even dating yet, not knowing how to date. We just hung out with friends in the fellowship. The first night I had dinner with my husband was with a group of addicts after the meeting, you know, the meeting after the meeting, and I made sure that that we were going to sit next to each other. <laughs> the next day I was going to celebrate 9 years clean and that was the first time he called me. These first things are they're important. My first First day clean, my first date with my husband, if you want to call it a date. The reason we got together was to talk about our regional convention. That was our, if you want to say excuse, it worked. <laughs> we talked about going to the comedy show and what we were going to do and that we would go together. And that's how we got together. And another thing that we did when we first got together was we prayed together. We invited God into our relationship He prayed with me this morning. I got on my knees in fear. And he got next to me. And after we would finish our silent prayers, we say the serenity prayer together. And he's been very patient with me. He's very patient anyway. We have a lot of qualities that he's got qualities more of certain things that I don't have. And I like to say that I do in some areas that... We can combine those and work together to build a healthy relationship. That's something that I've never done clean is build a relationship with a significant other and fall in love and feel the experience of falling in love. And we've been married three years in December. It'll be three years. I've also been able to build relationships with his family. When I first met his parents, it was just instant love. There wasn't any any fear of I've got to meet the in-laws. That's it's perfect the way that it's happened. I married into a recovering family. His mother is an alitn on. His father's with her. He does everything in this fellowship. He, they love going to meetings with us. It's just—it's amazing, and we know they love it. We can feel that. Nathan's grandfather has 39 years in the other fellowship. In July, he did. There are a 12-step family, and my sponsor and I were discussing this last month, and and she told me this is this is what you get. You know, when you stay clean and work a program, these are gifts. You know, recovery is a gift. Spiritual principles are a gift. Narcotics Anonymous is a gift. These people in our life, whether you know them or not, were a gift all of us. You can look in the eyes of anybody and see God. God is in all of us. What I do today to stay clean... I put my recovery first. I pray every morning on my knees, and I had gotten out of that habit for a couple of years. I just talk to God. I talk to God anyway, driving. I mean, I talk to God more driving in my car instead of listening to a radio. And I've been listening to a lot of speaker tapes the last three months. I've done that quite a bit too. But you know, God is here all the time, anywhere, anytime, any second. I pray every morning. I read our Just for Today. I read it at night for the next morning. And then I read it again because my memory is better than it used to be. And it's getting better. And I've been trying to refer the page that it refers to. I've been looking that up and reading a little bit more in our basic text. To get more. More is better. Just like there's some things that are are still more is better, which is recovery. I go to a lot of meetings. I have a home group. I have a sponsor that works the steps. I work the steps. I have sponsees that are miracles. I sign up for volunteer service whenever possible. Betsy and I worked yesterday morning in registration, and it was at 9 o'clock, and there was quite a line outside. It was very hectic, but very rewarding. It was non stop love. We've met a lot of people and and we felt like we were of service to God and others, and that's you know, that's what it's about. I have a lot of support here in this room right now. And I'm very grateful for. I've got a sponsor sitting here that's waiting to do her eleventh step in Hawaii, and I know we're gonna get that done. support group is another um, big part of my recovery i recently wrote about some women in my support group with my sponsor and i've had this sponsor since june and we started over in the very beginning of the book there's 19 pages before step one and there's a lot to read before we get to step one we started with the symbol And I had to first write, you know, the gratitude list and and continually add on to this list. It's not just a list I write and put away. It's something I have in my journal, my daily journal. I have a lot of pages open behind that that I can add on to it. And And I add on to it things that if I write tonight, I'll look at what I'm grateful for today and try to reflect on that. So I had to write about my support group, and I had to write about five women. I had to come up with five women that I do things with in recovery that I can call if she's not available, that I have built a relationship with or intend to continue building a relationship with. And three of those women are in this room right now. Thank you. I had another new woman that I added to my support group because this is a program of change. And there's a lot of addicts that I know that I can pick up the phone and call, men and women in this fellowship, and talk to somebody. I know that. But the support group, a close support group, is important for me. And, And I'm working on building those relationships I stay in contact with these people, not just once a month, but, you know, I try to stay in contact with these people each week and sometimes daily, because you guys help me stay clean. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close and let Musa speak, but I want to thank all of you for being here and also for the... The convention committee, because somebody believed in me to ask me to share here today. I know that. And also Musa and I prayed together before the meeting, and I'm very grateful to have these spiritual connections that we get here. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Teresa, and I'd like to welcome Musa.
2: My name is Musa, and I'm an addict. And welcome to Be Anywhere Clean. Uh, First of all, I want to thank God. And then I want to ask you guys to do something real quick. Just stand up and hug the person to the right of you and to the left of you, please. Isn't that feel great
1: that's what, that, that.
2: and before I go further I'd like to thank Teresa for sharing her story with us and thank the committee for inviting me to come and speak and that's why I keep coming back to Narcotics Anonymous because they hugged me when I got here and they showed me some love man, I'm telling you that's what I needed when I got here because I was tore up from the flow up, cracked, smoked out and for me you know what If I don't stay connected with a guy, I'm smoking again. That's that's it and that's all. You know, my life has been unmanageable. I've been powerless over this addiction. And I didn't know what the hell was wrong with me. But when I got here, y'all started working on me and sharing with me what I needed to do in order to recover. Just for those addicts who are not here but are on their way, we still got work to do. This disease is very fatal, and uh, it's doing damage out there, you know. So my purpose in life today is just to carry the message to the still, sick, and suffering addict. And, uh, man, I needed help when I got here. And when I got here, you know, I really didn't believe I was that bad. I was minimizing. I was in denial. And really, I just wanted the wife to leave me alone so I could get another hit, you know. Uh, I wasn't locked up in a prison, per se, but I was locked up in my own mind. If it had not been for her, we would not have had a home for the four children we were raising and uh I got to a place where I finally you know what uh the guy that actually the guy that actually uh, you know because I was working at this uh uh, uh at at uh, the post office and uh you know for a addict like me that smoked dope that's probably why you didn't get your mail on time <laughs> because uh you know, I hooked up. I always was drawn to them like real hip and cool kind of people. And that wasn't the way that my family raised me. You know, I had a real loving family, and uh, and I was studying for this test, and I got hired. And I was also going to school at the time, and at that time, I was just like drinking and smoking weed. And I say just smoking and drinking weed, like that's a lesser of, but that's where I was. But you know, when that cocaine come on the scene, it's going to be over real soon. So, uh. Um, While being at the post office, um, I hooked up with this guy from New York. And for two weeks, they put me on the day shift because at night I was finishing up my finals at the school I was going to. Never even used it. I mean, I went to school and I learned how to do uh, uh, I was going to a school called Association uh, uh, Technical uh, College for installation and repair telephone. I never even used that stuff. And then I ended up getting hired at the post office. And we had passed each other's path along the way, and he got hired like maybe a week or two before I did. And when I got there, probably after the second week, I got on the shift, and he said, man, I got the hookup. He said, as soon as we get paid, meet me in the parking lot. Now, I probably had experimented with cocaine once or twice before then. And uh, what he did, he said, man, here's $20 for gas. Let's roll. And we start hitting them spots. He said, they didn't have it there. They ain't got it here. All the time, he picking up packages. I didn't know this. I was real new to the game, right? And uh, when we finally, you know, got to our destination where he had it all hooked up, you know, he said, look here. Do it on the plate. Your hands ain't broke. Go for it. Help yourself. Now, of course, you know what he was doing. He said, shit, two post office checks is better than one. If I get him sprung, then we're going to be smoking for a long time. But I'm here to tell you, one is too many and a thousand never enough. You know, I thought that that stuff was free at the time. But I'm here to tell you, I paid a heavy price. And I followed that guy around, man, for many years, at least a couple of years. And uh, one day I walked into work and there he was sitting at the, because uh, he was, a, we both were mail sorters in different sections, but I walked in. And he had been on the run a little longer than me or something, and I looked at him. His teeth was missing in the front. He was drooling. And I just got like a reflection of me. I said, man, is it getting that bad? I said, what's going on? He said, oh, man, I'm all right. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the employment assistance program, scream at them, and let them know i got a problem. See, he had been doing this for many years, working the system. But he gave that was my first clue how to tap into getting some help. Now by this time I wasn't paying no rent. It was getting worse for me, and of course I would smoke up his dope, and then I would go spend my check. You know, because I had a family at home. I had four kids at home and a wife. It's like, man, I can't spend my money. I got rent to pay. I got to take care of these kids. Say that's all right. Don't worry about it. So it was always free for a minute. And after I would leave him, then what I would do is I'd go and I'd spend fifty. I'd spend a hundred. And after a while, it was the whole paycheck to the point where we got evicted. And when we got evicted, that was the most humiliating thing for me because, see, I was raised with a father in my life, all my life. And he was always there. He wasn't no addict. He wasn't no alcoholic. That's not to say he didn't do no drugs. He just didn't get out of hand with the shit. He might have a sip and sit it on the table. And that's when I would sneak and take a drink. And But I found out I suffered from this addiction. See, I couldn't do like he did. See, he went to work every day. His life didn't become unmanageable. But when I got involved and not knowing that I had this disease, I suffered from this disease, man, I remember after coming back, after leaving Chicago, and I went into the military, and I came back, and I said, yeah, Dad, I got some of that sense of me. He said, some sense of who? He said, look here, it ain't but two kinds of weed, either it's good or it ain't. (laughs) And so... So what we could do together at that time, because, see, I'm grown, I'm out on my own. He said, look here, uh, yeah, let me take that stuff out. And he'd take a couple of puffs. That's enough for him. he put it down. I'm like, Shh, you better pass that on over to me, because, see, I could smoke up a whole lot of dope. Because one was too many, and a thousand was never none, you know. And uh, when I left, I left with a whole lot of fear. Because the way he approached me when I got about 18, he said, you know what, either you're going to college Either you going to the military, but you going somewhere. And you know, I carried that resentment for a long time. A long time. Because what I felt like was that he had given me the boot, which is what he did. He said, I done raised you this far, I done taught you a trade. You on your own. You got to go out there and build your own. So I got out there and, and being in the post office uh and when I talked to this guy that had turned me out with the cocaine. He gave me a clue when I went to the employment assistance program. And what I said to them was, is that, you know what, I got a problem with alcohol. Now, I hadn't drank alcohol in years because, see, when I smoke dope, that's all I want. I didn't want no alcohol. I'm waiting on the package. And when the package comes, uh, then it's on. It's on. So when I went to them, I told them a lie. I said, you know what, I got a problem with alcohol, and I think I need some help. And what they did, they said, well, I tell you what, I'm going to put you in touch with a guy I want you to connect with him and uh, and then get back with me. Now, this guy worked at the post office here. In fact, when he finally caught up with me after a run, after I slept for a couple of days, and I guess he called my wife or something, and he said, uh, well, is he there? Is he clean? He ain't been smoking nothing. So we got a chance to sit and talk, right? And when he started talking, he told my story. And I was like... And he has been talking to my
1: wife,
2: <laughs> and really, I just identified with him with what the disease of addiction had done in his life, how much he had lost, what he was going through and uh, and he told me, "I want you to meet me at this meeting, and I did. I finally got there, and like I told you i you know, I went with the intent just to like keep the wife quiet. So I could keep on smoking. And when I got there, I seen a couple other people that gave me a whole lot of hope. And that's when I started standing for something. I started standing for that Narcotics Anonymous might work in my life. Now, these couple of brothers that I had seen there, see, back in the day when I was in the military, one of them was in the military with me. And I know how he used to get loaded. Then when he would leave us, he would shoot dope. And I said, no, I ain't going to never be like that. But I seen him in the rooms of recovery, and I just, it was unbelievable. This guy's still clean today. In fact, I think he got about 20 years. I'm sitting on 15 myself one day at a time, and, you know, I don't say that to blow you away, but it still blows me away that I got 15 years, because I remember what it was like when I came into the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous, and I used to have to sit on my hands. I used to have to pull somebody to the side and say, man, you know what, I feel like getting loaded. So what happened was, is this other brother that was there too. Uh, I remember how he used to rob the dope man, and he would run up into the apartment where I lived with this other woman at the time, sit the gun on the table, and say, "You know what? We got plenty. Now we can get loaded for a long time. One is too many, a thousand never enough. It still wasn't enough dope." And so I was running for many years, and uh, and I, I went to the, I, I ended up getting at that meeting. And I put together about ninety days. I got me a sponsor, and the sponsor said call me for thirty days. And of course you know I didn't use that number. You know, I would show up at the meeting, which it was on a Friday evening, and then I want to run to this guy that I say was my sponsor and tell him how my whole weekend went. And he stand there for about thirty seconds he turn around and walk off. I say, What's wrong with him? Don't he know who I think I am? And after about two weeks, three weeks of that, then I said, well, maybe I better call him. See, because he wouldn't take time because he he was there for his own recovery. He didn't have time to listen to me at the end of the week to just, like, fill him up with all this stuff that I still didn't have a clue on what I was supposed to do. I was just following y'all lead, you know. And I heard y'all sharing, and I was identifying with y'all. But you know what? I had to get to a place where I started working some steps. And I would connect with this guy, and I'd call him. And he gave me instructions on what to do. When you finish with that, get back with me. And I did that up to about the third step. And I kept hearing people say, if you don't work the fourth step, you're probably going to get loaded again. Now, I heard that, but I didn't know how to, like, take that next step into the fourth step. Man, I tell you, after that cocaine got through with me, because after 90 days, I relapsed. And I started all over again. And I put together about nine months. Still hadn't worked the fourth step. After that second time, I talked to my sponsor. He said, well, maybe you need to go into a treatment facility. Because for some reason, it just don't seem like you're going to do it out here the way you're trying to do it. So I went into a treatment facility. I committed to stay there for a year and work that program and work on my steps. And uh, I still didn't work a fourth step. I got out of that treatment facility and... uh, Shortly after being in recovery, probably about uh, probably about two about two months after getting introduced to it, uh, what I remember was that um, I started praying, and not like I had never prayed before, because I had prayed, but I had prayed for another hit. And see, what I do know is that prayer will work for you. So be careful what you pray for. But I had some faith even before I got here. But I was praying to the wrong God. And I was getting what I prayed for. So I had faith. After after getting here, and then I started praying again, and I was in touch with Narcotics Anonymous, then some other things started happening. You know, Because I would hear God speak to me, and he said, you know what, you need to let that job go and focus on your recovery. So I resigned before they could fire me, because that's what they was trying to do. They was trying to fire me. You know, my schedule had got became uh, just, you know how it gets. You know, 10 minutes for the job, I'm sitting, I ain't coming. You know, I uh, wouldn't show up for two or three days, somebody else been died. And, and uh, but in my prayer, God said, you know what? You need to let that go, and you need to focus on your recovery. And that's what I did. And I put together about 90 days with the help of the fellowship and my sponsor. And then I relapsed after 90 days. I got a great idea that I could do one more. Man, it just in 90 days. I started looking good, feeling better about myself, and I went back out for about nine months. After nine months, I still didn't work a fourth step. So I relapsed again, and that was the last one because I had a stretch of about 17 months. I, th- I think they give like an 18-month token. And I didn't quite make it to that 18-month mark, but that was the time. Because, see, I used to hear y'all say, oh, we don't get loaded no matter what. But, see, there's something about the principles of Narcotics Anonymous, and that is is that you can read the book, do the steps, you can pray. But if you don't get an understanding and learn how to apply this stuff in your life, you wasting some, get, some good getting high time. But at 17 months, I got that great idea again. And I went out there. You know, people didn't even want to sell me no dope. But the obsession that was happening in my mind, once I got to that guy that said, man, who is you, the police? He said, man, we ain't seen you around here because I ain't been on the scene in 17 months. I don't know nobody. It's a whole different scene. But you know, once that obsession started driving me, and I wanted to get low because at first he sold me a, a a peanut. It was a shaved macadamia nut. Now you know, I probably could have stopped then. But see, this obsession is so raw that when it get in there and it get locked in and it's driving you, now I'm really upset and I'm angry and i got to have one. So I did a few turns, and I got some, and, I mean, this is something I never did. It got so scary out there, and I was so paranoid that I went and got a hotel room. I never did that because I couldn't waste money on no hotel room. I had to get some dope. So I'm in this hotel, and I'm smoking, smoking, and it ain't working no more. Now, people say, what you mean it ain't working no more? How you smoking it? It ain't working no more. I got a head full of recovery because I've been doing a few steps. I've been around y'all going to meetings, and it just messed up me getting high anymore. But I finally got my own experience with it. won't work no more. I understood what that meant at that time. This is what they mean when they say, we don't smoke no matter what. That's when I got that clue. And I had to humble myself. And I was only out there one day now. That's minimizing again, right? One day, I broke the cycle. I had to start all over. I called up a buddy of mine, and he came and got me. No, he didn't. He said, I'll come and get you. And I said, man, if you can come and get me, I'll get to where you're at. And when I got to where he was, he took me to a meeting. He fed me. He took me to a meeting. He fed me. He took me to a meeting. Then he turned me over to somebody else. They fed me. They took me to a meeting. And then I got into that chapter called Recovery and Relapse. Man, I was trying to shut that disease off, and I read that I read that uh, chapter daily because I was I was afraid then because I had opened that thing back up again, and it was on me. But you know what? I promised myself. I said, you know what? I'm going to do that fourth step if it kills me. And guess what? It only added life. It only added life. And from the fourth step, I went to the fifth step. And I remember calling my sponsor up and saying, I'm ready after every day sitting down at that table. And the only way I knew to do that is the guy that I went and lived with after I left the treatment facility and I got loaded, I saw him in action. He was on the phone talking to newcomers. He took time to sit at the table and write, do his step work and stuff. So I saw him getting in action. He was standing for something. He was getting on his knees and praying. and uh, And that's when my recovery really started to take hold. And I followed in his footsteps. I talked to my sponsor, and he was saying to me, he said, you know what, you go to meetings all the time. In fact, you going to too many meetings. You're going to three and four meetings in a day because I wasn't working at the time. He said, but look at this. He said, you've been away from your family out there getting loaded. Now you're in the program, but you're still away from your family because you're hiding out in meetings. He said, you can't do it like that. You're going to have to find a balance. You're going to have to work out what meetings you're going to go through to within that week. You're going to have to make time for you and yourself. You're going to have to make time for you and the wife. You got four kids, you're going to have to make time for you and the family. You're going to have to make time for you and each individual child. And it's like, man, how am I going to do that? But you know, the more I worked on the steps, the more that God was able to work in my life and direct me and set those times aside. I had people in my life that they said, you know what, we do a date night. I said, Wow. What a concept. You know, maybe I can get with that. Tell my wife, you know, we'll hook up on Saturdays in Because I was doing a meeting on Friday. I was doing a meeting on Sunday. And so that started taking place. We started setting up. Now, all that stuff is subject to change as you grow in your recovery. Even what I believe about recovery. Because this program ain't what I think it is. With all the work that I do, I still get more and more revealed to me on a daily basis. Um... So I began to do that and apply the principles in my life. I went through the steps several times. There's times when I've had sponsors, but I like what somebody else was doing. And I said, you know what, you my spiritual advisor right now because I'm going to go over here and get with them. And I hope you're all right with that. And so we went on a spiritual retreat one time, and I was with a group of guys that they were meeting with their sponsor weekly. On a Wednesday night, they would work out of the uh, green and gold. And it's like I wanted to be a part of that, but what they had to do was vote me in because he was working with all his sponsees. And at the time, my sponsor was going through some life things that he just couldn't do that. He couldn't accommodate me. And so they voted me in. And every Wednesday for probably about a year and a half, we would meet on Wednesdays. We'd get into the book. We'd do an hour in our step work, and then we'd go into some other self-help books, which was real good. And I finished up that, and... uh and somewhere along the line, I ended up getting hired for the school district, and I was doing that for many years. And uh, it's just like, I, I got more work to do. This ain't something I'm going to do the rest of my life. I was working as a custodian, no big deal, but I was in the school district, had good benefits take care of my family. And I got to a place where I wanted to go back to school. And I talked about going to school for about maybe two years. Fear kept creeping up. It's like I'm too old. I can't do it. And we had young people that would come there and work. And they they do knock out their two hours, and they sit down and get into their books and stuff. And I mentioned that to them a couple of times. They said, well, we'll bring you a schedule. We'll show you how to do this. Man, you talking about standing for something? I wasn't ready. But finally I got to a place where I said, okay, God, if it's your will, let it be done. And I took that first step, and God just started opening up doors, man. People were showing up. Oh, this is how you fill out the application. You need some help with it. Oh, did you go over here? Did you check out this I mean, people just show up. And so I had to keep working on moving forward and operating on faith and knowing that anything is possible in Narcotics Anonymous. See, now I ain't smoking no more dope. But what else am I going to put in my life? And after working some steps, then I got a spiritual awakening. I got some spiritual awareness. And uh, it's like, I can do this. I can do this. And when I got there, man, it was other people in recovery going to school, suiting up and showing up. And they said, just like you do your meetings, this is what my sponsor said, just like you're doing your step work, sit at the front of the class. You know, it wasn't about cheating no more. See, I did that way back in high school where I just barely got out of it. So I, did, I started working, the, I started work, going to school like I was working my step work. Because by this time, I was doing the thing one day at a time. And it was working in my life. Um somewhere along the lines, I think at about seven years, my sister is also in this program, but my parents couldn't do a thing with her. And so they put on a plane and flew her from Chicago out to San Diego. And they said, you know what, we can't do nothing else with her. And I said, you know what, I don't know what to do with her either. I tell you what, she can go to a meeting with me, and I introduced her to the women. And when I introduced her to the women, y'all did what y'all do. And, and, and then I was able to live with her for that one more week at my house. And she went back to Chicago and she got involved. See, this, this program of Narcotics Anonymous, man, what I find is that once you start working steps, getting an understanding of them, applying them in your life, it not only affects your life, but it affects the ones around you. It affects your loved ones. It affects the neighbor that live across the street that's been watching you. cause see, they know how it used to get loaded. Hey, hey uh, uh, June Bug, why don't you go talk to Musa, man? You know, I remember what he was like, but you know what? His life seemed to be going well. And now I can reach out to him or he can reach to me. And the therapeutic value of one addict helping another, we, we get clean around here. Narcotics Anonymous, you're never alone. You know, uh... My sister went back, and uh, she got cleaned up, and she started doing some things and working some steps. And, and uh, man, my father has always been proud of me. That's my hero. But I remember when my uh, my wife had finally told a secret. She said, you know what? This boy done lost his mind. He's smoking up all the money, and I don't know what else to do. And I talked to him on the phone. First, I was angry at her because she had told on me, you know, 'Cause see, we living way out here, her family's in Arizona, mine is in Chicago, and we decided this was gonna be our spot, but she had told on me. But I got on the phone with my father, and he said, You know what, son? I believe if anybody can beat that stuff, you can. And man, that weighed on me. That weighed on me, and man, I you know, it was like, I'ma do this thing. I'ma do these steps like they say to them. i 'em. I'ma follow y'all guy. And I got busy. And uh Standing for something. I'm standing on the principles of Narcotics Anonymous. And they're working in my life and they're affecting people around me, my wife, my loved ones. I went back to school and got my degree, got certified. I'm a program director where I help other people. You know, I just carry the message. I can't carry the addict. And um, I go to an 11-step spiritual meeting on Monday nights where we talk about the 11th step and we get into some prayer and some meditation that works real well right now on Wednesday I do a uh, book study you know those are the you know you hear that book studies are are uh, most needed and I hear people talk about it, but a lot of people don't attend book studies you know where you can get into the steps and the traditions and so I do that on the Wednesday night then I go to a Friday night meeting uh, called the sleeping monkey and uh, and the beautiful thing about that there is there, there are people with some physical challenges. They can't hear. They can't talk. And they sign language. You know, they sign language to these people because we're about carrying the message of recovery. And it's a trip to sit there and watch them sign language and the different things they do. Smoke. You know, they be, they be doing all this stuff, man. And if you study them long enough, you can learn, too. Uh, but we recover in that meeting as well. And then I do a Sunday men's meet, so that's about you know I do average three to four four meetings a week, and uh, I'm into service work. I'm I was a GSR prior to getting uh, elected to be uh, uh, vice chair of our area. Uh, That's the Savannah area, and I know it's a lot of y'all out there. I thank y'all for being here to support me too. And uh, so I'm standing on what I believe and what I believe that works, uh, and that's Narcotics Anonymous. You know, I didn't even want to be here. I was trying to get tickets to David Sanboy. And God said, oh, no, you got something else to do. So it's like once I committed to, they called me up uh, from the World Service Office, and they said, you know what, are you willing? I said, yeah, I'm willing. Then I understood why I couldn't get tickets. You know what I'm saying? Because God had something else planned for me, you know. And it's amazing how I can plan my day to go one way, and it's like, Man, I have to laugh at the end of the day because you know God be laying out some things that just be so amazing. So amazing. Um standing for something, man. And, and and when I hear that topic standing for something, I think stand for something or you'll fall for anything. You know? So coming into the program of Narcotics Anonymous and um just being willing, getting humble. And this program is just really, is really truly about love, you know. Um, God is amazing to me. How he works through individuals, how he works through me. And I really didn't, you know, give this a whole lot of thought of what I was going to say, how I was going to carry this message. But as soon as I got here and I ran to reach, she said, oh, I'm so nervous. <laughs> and I said, I need to get honest, I am too. But it's just, y'all, it's just some more addicts out there. And nowhere, no matter where I go, and I can travel anywhere in the world, and the hand of narcotics is right there. All I got to do is check in and let y'all know I'm in town. And then y'all can take me where I need to go so I can get into the fellowship. So maybe I can reach out and help another sick and suffering addict. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, this particular trip, um, how long am I been speaking now? Okay. This particular trip, my youngest son graduated uh, from high school, and this was part of his trip as well. Uh, My oldest son is here, and uh, it's like, you know, I'm always telling other people, like, how proud I am of my sons, because I got three sons and one daughter, and uh, see, people come and they help you. And they say, well, when the last time you told them? And I say, you know what? I haven't did that lately. And I had to pull them to the side individually. They ain't been in no gangs. They ain't been doing no drugs. Graduating. One of them work at a hospital. here in the people business. Another one does, uh, I don't know what he do. Because he'd be changing jobs and trying to climb that ladder. But he's real computer illiterate. He ain't got no common sense. But he know that computer and that technical stuff. And uh, so I got the opportunity to just pull him to the side and say, you know what, son? I love you, man. I'm proud of you. For a black man, you know, graduating high school, not in no games and being on no drugs, that's a good thing, son. And I pulled him close to me, and I gave him a hug. And uh, and just about two years ago, and I'm going to close You know, I lost my father. He made his transition. And one day I just got a call. He had been out in California. Him and my mother adopted two little girls. And uh, they're now like uh, six and seven years old, China and Angel. And, uh, And I lost my father back in 2002. And I got a phone call and my mother said, you know what, your dad is on life support system. And it's so amazing, the spiritual I felt like angels was with me, you know, because I got a ticket in the same day. You know how they tell you show up to the airport two hours before? I got there twenty minutes before the flight was to leave, and it was like God just parted the red sea, man. I had my little luggage and um, uh, and everybody was just waiting on me. It was like, yeah, Mister Mister Colleen, yeah, here, let us take that. It's now. Mind you, they still made me do the surge, take off my shoes, all that. But I, it was like time stood still. Standing for something. I had to be there no matter what, and I got there. And I got a chance to spend the last few days with him in the hospital. And you know that thing that you say, you know what? If my father died or my mother died, I don't know if I can handle that. I might just get loaded. Narcotics Anonymous was there for me. My sister was in the program. She got about eight years now. She took me to meetings. People that were there, they showed me love. And uh, people from San Diego called me all the way across. And, uh, and man, I, I visited him for three days on that third day. Once he knew his family was going to be all right, standing on the principles. He, he, in fact, I know he had already left, but he just wanted to know that we was all right. And I looked in his eyes, and you know how baby eyes look real clear? You know, they ain't got them broken veins like we might have. And his eyes was real clear. They had never looked so pure to me in my life. And I said, you know what, Dad? It's all right, man. It's all right. I said, because it looked like you done already been there. He shook his head. He said, but you know what? Y'all take care of yourself. And he raised his fist to my sister like this, and he said,
1: you too. Because I'll... I, <laughs>
2: So that night we went home and about uh, 2 o'clock, and every time we left the room for the, that three days I was listening, he would do like this. Now, I didn't know if he was saying, peace, or if he was saying, I'm out of here at 2 o'clock. Because when they called us, it was 2 o'clock a.m. in the morning that he had made his transition. Just looking at him, he had tubes in his, his throat, but he spoke volumes to me. And that time that I spent with him, looking in his eyes, and, and finally he wrote on a piece of paper that, you know what, I'm tired. He was tired of struggling. But he had done a good job with his family. And we just loved him, and we kissed him, and we rubbed his feet and all that. But for him to see me and his his only daughter clean, talk about standing for something, narcotics has given me my life back. So stand on the principles that you get taught around here. If you're a newcomer and you don't understand, just keep suiting up and showing up. Get them hugs. Get them directions. And follow them until you can stand for something. I want to do one thing. Y'all might think I'm making a call. <laughs> but I got to do this because this is what happens in my life today. Thanks for the patience. Maybe I ain't supposed to do this. <laughs> wanted you to hear this message that I got and then I'll end with that if I can get this message. <laughs> that ain't it. Wow. Okay, here we go. Okay, you probably couldn't hear, but hear that. I thought it might come out a little loud. What, what this brother said, he woke up with me on his mind this morning. he wanted to let me know how much he loved me, he appreciate me and that he was doing well, and that's what we do and we probably don't do that enough with each other. Take time and let somebody know how much you love them, how much you appreciate them, and keep coming back, and I will too. Thank you.
1: I want to thank everybody for uh, coming and staying with us during this. I want to thank our speakers, Moussan, Teresa. And uh, I haven't asked an addict to please read We Do Recover. And we'll huddle up. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm an addict from Eastern Texas. We do recover when, at the end of the road, we find that we can no longer function as a human being, either with or without drugs. We all face the same dilemma. What is there left to do? There seems to be this alternative. Either go on as best we can to the bitter ends, jails, institutions or death, or find a new way to live. In years
2: gone by, very few addicts ever had this last choice. Those who are addicted today are more fortunate. For the first time in man's entire history, a simple way has been proving itself in the lives of many addicts. It is available to us all. This is a simple, spiritual,
1: not religious program known just Narcotics Anonymous. Thanks. Thanks, hey, Daniel. All right, let's huddle up in the traditional manner. Moment of silence for addicts that are still suffering and those that don't know that recovery is possible. And you know, it's not just our brothers and sisters in New Orleans. We got them in Alabama, we got them all over. Special, special prayers and thoughts. Any addicts have said, "Take my will in my life, guide me in my recovery, show me how to live. Give Keep coming back. It works if you live it. it sucks if you don't."